Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Of course, we are thrilled to have Sheila Hetty in conversation with Sarah Manguso. It's so exciting. Um, it's a delight to welcome back Sarah Manguso. She's the author of seven books, including my personal favorite, 300 Arguments, a short book composed entirely of a long book's quotable passages. Um, it's inventive, it's witty, and it's such a friendly book. I notice in my apartment, like, that is always the one people pick up. Um, but it's also just very exciting to welcome back uh, the famous Sheila Hetty. How should a person be famous? She did it. Um, she's also the author of seven books, which I didn't quite realize until I saw these two have this magical thing in common. It feels so lucky. Um, and um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the book itself. In fact, I wanted to talk about the author photo because I have seen a lot of author photos and um, I love this one. Um, she's in profile, she's in motion, and she's out of focus. And um, it's such a perfect marriage of form and function. You get an idea of what she looks like, but you know, it's not 100%. And um, I'll say working here, it's interesting. Uh, you know, you've heard that advice, don't judge a book by its cover, which is great advice for life. But for books, like if you really know about books, it's like kind of not the greatest advice. You sort of can judge a book, and um, there is something so pleasingly comprehensive about Sheila Hetty's approach to aesthetics, and you really see it in every aspect of the book, which I, which I love. Um, and also, both of these authors are exemplifying a new moment in literature where um, these books are experimental without being flashy, and they're exp experimental while also being accessible. But I will say I'm not immune to glamour, and my goodness, motherhood has gotten so much praise. It has been called subtle, exceptional, riveting, incisive, original, honest, beautiful, brilliant, challenging, thrilling, funny, innovative, elegant, provocative, significant, freewheeling, and ingenious. Let's please give a warm round of applause. Thank you all for coming out. Um, I think Sarah could maybe this was my idea to have. Oh, Lord, plus Sarah, thank you so. Yeah, I never get to see you. Yes. So, this is just going to be the conversation that we would otherwise be having. So, will you not? And I happened to chair already, so I'm not. Sorry, I'm so excited again for you. Yeah. It might be so indie here at Skyline. <laughs> thank you for the very gracious introduction. Yes. Um, oh, right. Okay. So, I, I'm uh, more or less in charge, and um, uh, I think. Uh, about halfway through, um, I know there are a lot of people in the audience who are going to want to ask Sheila questions about her new book, and so there will be plenty of time to do that. Um, and uh, so I, I want to start with sort of a, I was, I was trying to think about when we started talking about motherhood, you and I, and I think it was in 2010. In this city? In this very city. None of us lived here. at the, Oh no, I think I just moved here. You were visiting, and we created a pact. And um, do, would you mind sharing what the pact was? What was the name of the restaurant we were at? I don't know. It was downtown. Something French dip. It was like a place oh, where you could yeah. dip your hamburger Police. in. Philippe's French dip. Yeah, yeah. So I, I remember that very vividly. Um, and um, we were sitting in a booth, and we you didn't have a child at that yeah. point. And um, 
we said that we would have, we would both have children. We both have one child. We both yeah. have one child. So we made a pact to, yeah, because to we wanted to write from the point of view of being mothers. Mm -hmm. That was part of it as well. Yeah, and we saw so many women of our age cohort who were artists and writers, and they seemed to be functioning and sane, and so, you know, doing that, that was like the research that we did to decide that it would be okay for us to have a okay. child. Yeah, and then you proceeded to have a child. And then, I, and then you broke the pact. Yes. And when you broke it. <laughs> very good idea to have a child just for, I mean, I had a pact that I would like lose my virginity with a friend in bed at the same time, like holding hands, and I broke oh, that wow. pact too, so. Oh, wow. There's certain pacts you have to break. That's you, like, amazing. I never knew that to like make yourself feel good and then you have to break them because they're sure. ridiculous. To, uh, well, I lost my virginity to a Canadian and we were, um, another, a different Canadian, and we were, uh, well, we were very much like, yeah. like, you know, holding hands and losing virginity together, and yeah, it was very... Like, Not holding perfect. hands with the guy, holding hands with the girlfriend in the same bed. Oh, the girlfriend? Oh, 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 oh. My friend and I okay, were that's much more of one girl. Yeah, no, I did it. I did it the so, but, but the conversation I think became much more interesting to me at least when we broke the pact. Yeah. And we, you know, we then had to continue talking, but it was across this weird gulf, and, um, uh, and, and then you know, and out of that, and many other conversations you were having with other people, you made this amazing book, and. Um, I'm taking my notes out. I'm not going to read from them. Okay, I'm just going to look at them. Um, the other thing I want to just touch on briefly before I ask you to read a little bit from the book is that, um, you know, despite the book's title and despite some of the writing that, that some of you may have seen about this book, um, its deepest subject is not motherhood. It's not, uh, you know, it's not really a book about whether a woman should have a child. It's like, it's, it's a much more elemental, I think, um, introspective, you know, self-inquiry. Uh, I've been reading Japanese death poems, and uh, I didn't know what they were until I found this amazing book. Somebody recommended it to me. A death poet actually recommended it to me a couple of a weeks ago. Poet? Yeah, Ilya Kaminsky, amazing, um, you know, poet who's hard of hearing. We were at this party, and he was trying to describe it to me, and there was a lot of ambient noise, and we couldn't hear each other, and he was deaf, and so he, um, anyway, he, he, he typed it out on my phone, and these, um, oh, I thought you said a death, death poet, D-E-H-H. Oh, no. I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> I'm sure you weren't the only one who had that question. That sounds so interesting. My point, though, <laughs> is that these 18th century Japanese writers um, were uh, following this custom of, um, you know, when a poet in Japan died in the 18th century, the cool thing to do was to take to your bed write one last poem and then die. And so there's like thousands of these. And reading through them, I thought, that is exactly what Sheila did with this book. I mean, without dying, but I mean, you stood at the precipice and you wrote about that lived experience of doubt and then you found a way across that was, you know, it's dramatized in the book, but it's also just totally private. Um, and so I, I think, um, you know, rather than including this book and sort of, you know, the greater conversation about books about motherhood that are coming out this year, many of which are, you know, more specifically about motherhood, I think, um, I think your book stands apart from them. 
and so I think maybe it would be good for you to read from the very beginning, okay. including the notes. Okay, um, and before I read it, I want to also say, just to talk a, really briefly, that Sarah was a huge, um, there's a number of friends who I talked a lot about motherhood with, but you said something to me uh, that was really key early on when I was talking about, oh, the back and forth, and when I was like breaking the pact, and, and you were sort of saying like, the agony of not knowing what you're going to do um, is is much much worse than like having a child, which is like nothing like what the period that precedes it and wondering about it is. And you're like, I'm so glad to be out of that place that you're in. And I hadn't known it was a place until you said that. And I, and I I remember thinking like oh, I have to stay here longer. Like I gotta if if it's a place for you and it's a place for me, then it's like actually a, a space to inhabit. And, I have you to think because I it wouldn't have occurred to me that there was something in that in that moment and in that in that um, indecision. Yeah. Okay. So you wanted me to read from the very beginning, including the notes before the book. So um, this is the note that starts the book. Note: Flipping three coins is a technique used by people who consult the I Ching, a divination system that originated in China over three thousand years ago. Kings used it in times of war, and regular people used it to help them with life problems. By flipping three coins six times, one of 64 states is revealed, and a text elaborates their meaning. Confucius, one of the most important interpreters of the I Ching, said that if he had 50 years to spare, he would devote them to the book study. The original text of the I Ching is poetic, dense, highly symbolic, and intricately systematic, profoundly philosophical, cosmological in its sweep, and, and notoriously arcane. In the pages that follow, three coins are used, a technique inspired by the I Ching, but not the actual I Ching, which is something different. A further note. In this book, all results from the flipping of coins result from the flipping of actual coins. Motherhood. I often beheld the world at a great distance, or I didn't behold it at all. At every moment, birds passed by overhead that I did not see, clouds and bees, the rustling of breezes, the sun on my flesh. I lived only in the grayish, insensate world of my mind, where I tried to reason everything out and came to no conclusions. I wished to have the time to put together a worldview, but there was never enough time. And also, those who had it seemed to have had it from a very young age. They didn't begin it at 40. Literature, I knew, was the only thing that could be begun at 40. If you were 40, beginning it, you could be said to be young. In everything else, I was old. All the boats were far off, away from the shore, while I was still making my way to the shore. I hadn't even found my boat yet. The girl who was staying with us, she was 12, made me see my own limitations as no one else had. My frailty, my obedience, my petty rebellions, most of all, my ignorance and sentimentality. When I entered the living room in the morning, half a hot dog was on the table. I called it a banana. Then I knew I was too old for this world, yet she, that she had quite naturally surpassed me and would continue to. To transform the grayish and muddy landscape of my mind into a solid and concrete thing, utterly apart from me, indeed not me at all, was my only hope. I didn't know what the solid form would be or what shape it would take. I only knew that I had to create a powerful monster since I was such a weak one. I had to create a monster apart from me that knew more than I knew, had a world view, and did not get such simple words wrong. 
flipping three coins on a desk. Two or three heads yes, two or three tails no. Is this book a good idea? Yes. Is the time to start it now? Yes. Here in Toronto? Yes. So then there's nothing to be worried about? Yes. Yes, there's nothing to be worried about? No. Should I be worried? Yes. <laughs> what should I be worried about? My soul? Yes. Will reading help my soul? Yes. Will being quiet help my soul? Yes. Will this book help my soul? Yes. So then I'm doing everything right? No. Am I handling my relationship wrong? No. Am I wrong in ignoring the suffering of others? No. Am I wrong in ignoring the political world? No. Am I wrong in not being grateful for the life I have? Yes. And the things I can do with it, having this time and prosperity? No. Having my particular being? Yes. Is the time for worrying about my particular being over? Yes. Is this the time to begin thinking about the soul of time? Yes. Do I have everything I need to begin? Yes. Should I start at the beginning and move straight through to the end? No. Should I do whatever I feel like, then stitch it all together later? No. Should I start at the beginning not knowing what will come next? Yes. Is this conversation the beginning? Yes. How about those rolls of color tape Erica bought me sitting over there? Should I use them somehow? No. Should I just let them sit there and look at them? No. Should I give them back to her? No. Should I hide them from sight? Yes. In the cupboard? Yes. It's going to be so hard not thinking about myself, but rather thinking about the soul of time. I have so little practice thinking about the soul of time and so much practice thinking about myself. But nothing is easy at the start. The phrase the soul of time has been with me since Catherine and I took that trip to New York over New Year's Eve several months ago. It was in my head shortly before that trip, too. I, I remember explaining it to her in detail on the subway platform. We were staying at Teresa and Walter's apartment. They were out of town visiting family over Christmas. I threw up that night drunk in their toilet, but this was much, much earlier in the day. Was it December 31st? No. Funny, I don't remember it being cold and I don't remember wearing a coat. Was it January 1st? No. December 30th? No. Was it some other trip entirely? Yes. I don't think it was. I was explaining to Catherine about the soul of time, about how either we as individuals have no souls, but experience a sort of collective soul that either belongs to time or is time, or that our lives, we are time's soul. I wasn't entirely clear on which one it was. The idea was in its infancy and still is today. She got very excited, while well, I found the idea that my soul was not my possession very comforting, that either my life was an expression of time's soul or that my soul was time. I don't know if I'm getting it right, am I? No. No, no, I hope to understand better what I meant on the subway platform and what so excited my dear friend Catherine. This will be my stated purpose, my design or agenda in writing this, to understand what it means, the soul of time, or to explain it to myself. Is that a good premise for this book? No. Is it too narrow? Yes. Can the soul of time be involved? No. Am I allowed to betray you? Yes. Then that's definitely partly what this book will be about. Maybe I shouldn't have said that I wanted to explain it to myself, but rather explain it to other people. Is that better? No. To embody it rather than explain it? Yes. I have a headache. I'm so tired. I shouldn't have taken that nap. 
But if I hadn't taken that nap, I would be in an even worse mood than I am right now, right? No. <laughs> Today I cried as Miles was leaving the house. When he asked why, I said it was because I had nothing to do. He said, you're a writer. You have the Bonjour Philippine book, you have the I Ching book, you have the Simone Weil book. Why don't you work on one of those? He hesitated before bringing up the Simone Weil book because it was his idea that I write about the ideas of Simone Weil. And right after he said it several weeks ago, both he and I became uncomfortable that he should suggest a book idea to me. I rejected it outright to his face, but around noon I started work on a book about Simone Weil. Miles texted me this afternoon, that afternoon to see if I was feeling better and called me several hours later to ask the same thing. It's really him I should be worried about, not him who should be worried about me, because he is the one who just started working and has no time to study, right? No. It's fair for both of us to be concerned about each other? Yes. I beat myself up over everything. Around noon today, I took a drive in the country with my father. I was trying to decide whether to take a three-week trip to New York in June. Teresa had told me that she and Walter would be heading out of town and that their apartment would be free if I wanted it. After much debating over what to do, I decided to make the choice that would make me feel better and warmer inside right now, and that was to stay here. After the drive, I came home and took a nap and woke up with a good feeling. I sat on the purple couch in the bedroom and just thought. I have for so long been putting off starting a new book, but now that Miles has begun working long hours, the choice has presented itself. To make a change and run off to New York and have fun, or to be a writer, as he put it, as he reminded me that I am. I wanted to tell him that I'm not the sort of writer who sits in her room and writes, but I did not. I remember how the other day he said that once a writer starts to have an interesting life, their writing always suffers. My reply to him was, you just don't want me to have an interesting life. Does that continue to ring in his ears? Yes. Did it hurt his feelings? Yes. Will he one day just forget about it? No. Must I apologize for it tonight? Yes. Anyways. Um, book, the coin thing, it, it like weaves in and out of that, and there's a lot of passages that are just writing without without that device yeah. as well. I think it's the best way to have begun, though, because it immediately forces a reader to think, oh, I'm supposed to decide whether she's in control or not. And she is, but she's not, but she is, but she's not. And it's just this mirror in front of a mirror um, effect that um, I think extends over the entire experience of reading. It's wonderful. Um, what's something that you cut from the book? What is something that I cut from the book? Yeah. I cut most things from the book. The book was most that, of the things. <laughs> most of the things. I mean, there was so much. Like that coin stuff was like forty thousand words. You yeah. know, like I was just the way I write is I create this like huge massive material over years and years and years, and then I start whittling down. So I cut a lot of the coin stuff, I cut a lot of the, maybe, I don't know how to describe this, but the more fiction-y stuff, the more like, if you read it, you would think this is some other world, not ours. There was a lot of writing like that in the book at one point. Um, there was a lot of um, uh, quotes from the internet of like people saying, to women who don't have children. Like, there would be these articles that I would read where women would talk about not having children or not wanting children, and there would be the comments section with like 20,000 comments and all of, you know, so many really hateful negative ones to, to these women for making this choice. And I, I had a lot of that in the book at one point. Um, I don't know, just a lot of different yeah. things. Um, no, I remember you showed me an earlier draft, and it, it had so many different 
I don't know, it just had more lobes. And um, I'm always curious about what it's like to write in that way, because I write in the opposite way. I just, you know, I do one sentence at a time. And um, I, would, I love the idea of making a really messy first draft, and I try it every few years, but then I can't look at it again. It's disgusting to me. Yeah, but so, so, so fun to cut that stuff out. Yeah, no, I, I, I see how that would be very appealing. It's like cleaning, like you just get rid yeah. of the dirty stuff. No, I love to clean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> something that you brought up, though, the comments on the internet. Um, uh, there, I mean, there are so many, uh, so many sort of important topics that I feel I should bring up. One of them being, of course, uh, you know, if a woman, or okay, if you write a book called Motherhood, in which a woman is thinking about motherhood, and people know that you're not a mother, then you know we just can assume it's autobiographical, right? I mean, like all novels, like all novels by women, they're just autobiographical. Um, and I guess um, I'm interested in your thoughts about that. I mean, this is something we've spoken about before, but it's. Um, is it even useful to, you know, engage that force that's out there in the world, or is that just not useful even to consider? How do you mean engage that force? Yeah, I don't know, to um, become insecure about it, or to feel responsible um, for, um, I don't know, having a platform, you know, like presenting a universality when you're just sort of writing as one person. Um, I'm just thinking about all of the, all of the types of negative internet comments. There's the like, you're... Um, I think the problem that women, even if you call it a novel, and obviously it's about a writer, and obviously it's a woman, and she lives in Toronto, and then to assume that everything, therefore, in the book is exactly my experience, I do find that aggravating, and I find it, like, insulting, and I think that it's... To me, I understand it to be um, a way of saying, like, women don't have, like... A woman that doesn't have an, can't have an imagination. Like all she can really write about or think about is herself, and 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 that somehow like you're trapped in your own body in this way, and you're trapped in your own experience in a way. And so when when people make that mistake in reviews, I understand why they're making it, but I also feel like if it's if it's called a novel, why the, why not just accept that? Why think that you know better than the writer, um, or that it's some kind of trick? Uh, what would be the benefit or the trick of saying that? What would I have to gain from saying that um, that a memoir was a novel? I don't know. I don't know. I don't really understand that. If anyone has any ideas, please yeah. put up your hand because I don't really well, understand what's behind that. Except, yeah, except what I just said. That. Yeah. No. I. It's um, uh, and and yet. You know, we're gonna. I, I mean, I at least am gonna continue worrying about it. I mean, yeah, as somebody who I think it's because maybe people would prefer to read a memoir than a novel because then you think like I think people like memoirs because you think like I can know my experience better in relation to the real lived experience of this writer, and the real lived experience of this writer can only come out in a memoir. It can't come out in a novel. Like you sort of think if you're reading a novel, then that's not. It's not it's real not enough. Actually, yeah, it's not actually. Um, yeah, a, and that's like a, a completely a reasonable point. But then when you publish a memoir, people immediately start saying like, "This part isn't true. It's not real enough." Really? Yeah, this is fiction. Yeah, no one's happy ever. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think either of those words are even that useful anymore. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, definitely. There have certainly now finally been enough books published that 
ignore that so-called divide that I mean, I we can I've stop having this conversation. I think I've asked you about this before, like, what would you rather call your book? And, like, yeah. everybody I know who's a writer is just like, couldn't I just call it a book? Like, why mm -hmm. do I have to call it anything beyond yeah. that? And you understand that within the covers of a book, there's fiction, there's nonfiction, there's reportage, there's imagination, yeah. there's philosophy. Like, it's all there in every book. Um, well, in every good book. And yeah. one of the most audacious things you've ever said to me was... Um, when you were giving me yet another session of really good advice about how to work on this book that I was working on, you just said, just write the damn book, and then at the very end of it, decide whether you're going to put the word novel on the cover or not. And I was like, oh my god, that's so elegant. And yeah, like, well, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, I, well, as you know, I'm, I'm not writing that like book. It's just like the idea of restricting yourself while you're working yeah, on no, it. No, you're absolutely right. It's a book. It's just a book. Um, back to the um, internet comments, though. Um, I feel like Maybe we can we can talk about this next thing that I, I think you know what I'm going to say, and then maybe we can open it up for questions. Do you think it's time for that? I don't that? know what you're going to say. Oh, um, well, one of the other things that oh, you and I have worked, yeah, yeah. You, you and I have, um, I, I mean, I guess I would hesitate to call it a collaborative. I don't know. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a project that we're working on together is our Google Diary. Yeah, so we decided at some point, like, to... Um, Every time, because both of us had this problem, I guess it was about a year ago. Mm -hmm. It was like a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago? Well, it was like New Year's resolution time, wasn't it? We were like, stop, I'm going to stop Googling mm -hmm. myself. I don't want to Google myself anymore. Like, who cares what anyone says about me on the internet? Right. And the way we decided to do that was every time... Well, before that, though, we just said, we're not doing it anymore. Yeah. New Year's resolution, bam. Yeah, that's and if you do, it, you gotta tell the other person. Yeah, so oh, that's right. You have to tell the other, and then like a week into work. the year, a week into 2017, we're both <laughs> like, I, I totally Googled myself. So then you came up with a really good idea. Well, the idea was that every time we Google ourselves, we have to write a little journal entry about it, and then at the end of the month, share the entry. And so we started. The, it was like yeah. called the Google Diary, and it, I was always look forward to the end of the month because you would send me, me yours, so and it would be like thrilling. every day, and yeah, the terrible the thing you yep. read, and the, the wonderful Envy. thing you read. Googling other people, you had to put that in, and just, just, yeah, no, just all of the things that I was doing, at least, to waste time on the internet, but I had to tell her. It reassured her. me, because I, when you do it for yourself, and you see people write stuff about you on the internet, it feels so big, like, the negative stuff feels so painful, and the good stuff feels so amazing, but when I would see your diary, I'd be like, who cares what these people say? Like, yeah. your books are so much bigger than that, and so to see it reflected in that way, and that we all have, if you publish books, basically, and, like, they're reviewed, and so on, there's always going to be people saying good things, and there's always going to be people saying bad things, and sort of thinking that this is just some part of the yeah. contemporary experience if you're like a published writer or if you're Well, it's not just public. reviews. I mean, it, like the problem, or at least as I saw it, the essential problem is, is not that like, you know, reviews were coming out. I, it was a book year for me last year and yeah. it's a book year for you this year. Um, it was just like, you could watch in real time everybody's reaction on Twitter. Like, and I mean everybody, just like every, it's the fact that it's there means that um, I had to look. Yeah, and the since diary then, kind of cured me of doing it. Like it yeah, just got it's me kind over. Of cured me I too. went through it's all taken the me longer though. Yeah, but I've asked every writer that I've seen, like in the last eighteen months, like, do you Google yourself? And they're like, oh yeah, only about like eighty times a day. Like every men, women, every everybody. Yeah, but I haven't done it since the book has come out. Well, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you want to go? Um, to questions yeah. For the audience? May maybe is this a good time for questions? Um, yeah. Okay. I'm getting a thumbs up here. And so. It's a nice freeing feeling because it doesn't because I you do get the feeling when you Google that it really matters and if you yeah. don't you realize like no the important thing is that I wrote this book that I wanted to write yeah. and that's well and confirmation bias too like if you're looking for something like if you, yeah. you want to feel really bad well, you about yourself you feel bad. it's there yeah, if you, you want to feel great you feel it's bad. there too 
Okay. Um, yes. Yeah, she designed the cover. Yeah, so she made um, these this wooden book for me. You know, she makes these wooden books. There's like pieces of wood, and then she draws um, covers on them. And um, one of them was um, Kierkegaard's Either Or, and she just had like Either Or, and then Kierkegaard down here. And I had it on my desk when I was working. And so when it came time for the book to be done, I thought, well, I mean, she's my friend, and she's such a great artist, and I I wanted her to do the book. So this is the design we ended up with, which sort of like echoes the Either Or that she made for me. But we went through 40 different covers. I mean, she made so many, and um, and my friend Catherine Burrell, who's in the audience, like one of the covers they gave me, I was just feeling kind of exhausted, and I was like, yeah, it's good enough. And she's like, it's not good enough. You got to keep pushing. <laughs> your your work is not done. You can't just write the book. You got to make it have the right cover. And so, like, as a result, we have a very beautiful cover. But um, it really took like you're kind of exhausted when you're done the book, and then to fight the publisher about the cover is like this whole other exhaustion. But I, I'm really happy with how it turned out. And she did the cover in, the, in Canada and the UK as well, which are different from this, but they all kind of look like triplets or something like they have like DNA in common um, yeah I'm, I'm very happy that it's so nice because I, I feel like I've never had a cover before that I felt like it was the one that I really wanted yeah um, any other questions yeah Oh, that's great. Thanks. Who's a writer like that for me? Um, who is a writer like that for me? Oscar Wilde. Um, I feel very excited about writing in that same way. And uh, when I, yeah, I'm just like, writers that have sort of a philosophical um, spirit or like talk about aesthetics or if I read, yeah, like I'm reading a book right now called The Hatred of Literature by William Marks and ARX and it's very interesting and it's about this whole idea that um, sort of since Plato, like the, you know, that why do people, why do we hate, why does culture hate literature, why do, why is literature considered such a, um, uh, a disruptive force and not even only disruptive like in a positive way, but in a negative way. Like he just goes through the history of why people hate, why writers and literature is hated. And when I read that book, I feel like I want to write because it's it's interesting to be sort of plugged into like what you can really do in literature, um, um, and it makes it seem like a more exciting uh, power that you have. Um, but yeah, I don't know. There's uh, William Marks. It's called The Hatred of Literature. Yeah, it was, just came out a couple months ago. Um, any other questions? Yep. Were you so personally wrestling with your decision about how it was wrong with writing or how it was writing? No, no, the, the working through and the writing were happening simultaneously with each other. And um, the I wrote about it because I was wrestling with it and I, I thought, I should do something with this. Like, this should not just be the waste of my brain, you know, and the garbage that I'm trying to push aside, which is what it had been. It was just like, oh, I don't want to think about that question anymore. And and and, and finally, at a certain point, I was like, no. Well, if you're thinking about it, like, 
put it, bring it to the center and like look at it and it's actually an important question. It's not something you should be pushing aside. And, um, and you know, with how should a person be, I sort of, and then women in clothes, I was, I don't think I'm necessarily still in this place, but with those books, I was like, I just want to write what's happening to me anyways and what I'm thinking about anyways and I don't want to go, I don't have to go far away. When I was working with Margot, she had this thing about the way you make art is like, you take everything that you have around you. Like you just be really resourceful. There's nothing that you need that you don't have. And so that idea I think was in my mind with writing this book or it had just become part of my cells like, oh yeah, you don't need to go out and look for an idea. You know, everything you need is right there. And so yeah, it became the, it became the subject of the book. Um, and basically the wrestling finished with the completion of the book except for last month <laughs> where I was waiting for the book to come out and it felt like before a book comes out when your book is done and then before it comes out you feel like the book is actually out but it has had no actual effect on the world and you've completely failed and somehow the book is done but it's out but it's not out it's this horrible limbo um, and so for that month I was like maybe I I thought about this all wrong and I you know I have to start over again in some way and I felt like back at square one but now that the book is out I'm thinking about the next book and not whether yeah everything I was thinking about while I was writing this um, any other questions oh boundary yeah Hey, I what you went know, on inside? When it didn't work, or when you were especially, especially excited about it? Um, writing the coin stuff was, um, it, it was just a way of, of pushing my thoughts beyond where they would normally go. And it was like being in conversation with somebody else. And the way when you're in conversation, like the way when you can think, when you think alone, you always kind of think along the same tracks and come to the same conclusions. And when you think like with a friend and you have a problem, you call a friend, like they take you to new places. And so for me, it wasn't even so much chance as just this other. And so if I could think in collaboration with an other, that would take me farther than thinking, you know, just the kind of prose where you write and you're just going along. And I think it actually also came out of a sort of loneliness because when I st started writing that coin stuff, it was 2010, which was right after How Should a Person Be was done and I had just worked so much with friends. And now I was back to being alone and there was some energy that I missed that comes out of the unexpected. And so the coins provided that like unexpected other, other person, um, yeah, um, and, and then the coins only, I only worked like that for about two or three years and I kind of, or maybe two years and then I kind of got tired of it and just felt like I'd come to the end of that and, and then I was ready to write more of the stuff that was um, more soliloquy like, yeah. Uh, any other questions? There's another one. Oh, yeah. Um, when, you play, when you play with form, how predetermined is that? Like when you set out on this adventure, do you think I'm going to use images and I'm going to, it's going to look like this on the page? Or is that, does that happen organically? 
Um, you're talking, the question's about um, playing with form and how much is it prepared in advance that I know where it's going to go. No, it's it's pretty organic. Like, the, the, when the pictures come in, it's just because the picture, suddenly it's like, oh, there needs to be a picture here or, you know, with the coin stuff that just came out of, like, a real place. And then knitting it together, I, I actually don't really like books that have a very choppy feeling. So all those different forms, I feel like at a certain point I just want to try to smooth it out and make it seem like it's continuous with itself um, and and knit it together. Um, yeah, because I don't want like a patchwork book. Um, but in the, in the process of writing, like I want to write what I'm really thinking about in that moment or I want to write in the form that I really feel like writing about in that moment. Because for me, writing doesn't happen in a... Um, okay, it's nine o'clock, I'll sit down and I'll write for three hours. It doesn't happen in that way. It happens in a, I have a feeling where I need to write and then I write. And for me, discipline is about always following that feeling that I need to write because if you don't, you're going to like miss something important that, need, that can only be said in that moment because that moment has its own constellation of influences and like the dream you had last night and the person you talked to three days ago and like that all needs to come out in that moment of writing. So for me, that's, that's what discipline is. Um, and, uh, and so as a result, like it takes different forms. Yeah. Um, any other questions? So I'm yeah no as you see like I can barely look at the audience I feel very um, there's certain nights where I feel very in that like performing mode and I can um, engage with an audience and there are certain nights where I just feel like an introverted writer and it feels very unnatural and that's just the difference between being a performer and being a writer and I've been watching like America's Next Top Model when I'm on uh, airplanes and so on on this tour because I just need to like rest my brain and the thing that I get from that show is like as a model you have to be good at every single aspect of being a model like you have to be good at this part and this part and interviews and go sees and da 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 and I sort of like the idea of these girls that have to do every aspect of the job well and I, I think that's true for being a writer too like you have to do the readings well you have to do the talks well you have to do the like not googling your well, you have to do the writing well, like everything matters. Um, but I also sort of forgive myself if the public, if I'm not, yeah, I don't know. And there's a part of me that's just like, I sort of know already what I want my next book to be and I want to be writing it. And so there's a part of me that's like keeping myself a little bit closed because when you sort of know what the, ne what the next book is, I don't know if it's like this for you, Sarah, but for me it's like, like this sort of feeling in my body, almost like a combination of colors and shapes and like it's it's like a dream and you're just like trying to remember the dreams. Like you woke up and like you had a dream and you're like, I can, I can sort of remember it, I can sort of remember it. And so like the process of like getting through the next month while trying to remember the dream, you know? And so there's like this part of me that's like a little closed because I'm trying to remember the dream, you know? Totally. Yeah. Um, yes. Sure. Um, and I really like the way you turn it into 
What do you mean as freedom? Because I think it is still is, can feel lonely. I mean, I think it can feel lonely. And, and it's, it's nice if you can integrate your friends' families into your life and integrate yourself into your friends' life with their children. And it's nice if you can also have friends who are, have the same path as you. But I mean, I think also it's a kind of freedom for some women to have the family and to have the children. Like I don't think it's freedom not to have a child and then it's freedom, you know, like one's freedom and the other's not freedom. Like freedom is figuring out what you want to do and doing it and and uh, and embracing it. And um, But I mean, I write about the loneliness of that in the book where for me it was this experience of thinking we were, like I put it like this in the book, like I th sort of like, I thought we were all the same. Like I thought we all didn't want this, but no, like we were just 20, like you did want this. And it was a sort of big surprise when suddenly everyone started doing it. I was like, oh, I, I guess I, I was thinking of the future differently, you know, um, than we all were. And yeah, and that's a kind of strange feeling because you're like, wh why am I alone suddenly? Yeah, yeah. Um, how are we doing for time? Oh, yes? Um, how do you see motherhood in the context of this cultural moment? Like, why is this the moment? I mean, for me, it's, like, I started writing it in 2010, and so it's just, I don't know what to say about this cultural moment. You mean, like, Me Too and stuff? Uh, or whatever, yeah, whatever. I mean, to me, that feels lucky. I mean, when, um... When, when I was writing the book, I thought, um, I mean, I kind of knew, like, at a certain point, when I saw the, like, the Republican debate, I was like, oh, that, that Donald Trump is going to be the president. Like, from Canada, I was like, that's the kind, he's, I just, like, and I called it, you know, and my friends and I had this bed, and I was like, no, it's good, and I don't want to get into that, because we're not talking about him tonight, but I, but before that Republican, when they were all on the stage together, I thought we were going to be moving into a Hillary Clinton world, and I was like, oh, that'll be so great for the book, like, the book will come out in, like, Hillary Clinton world, and, like, everyone will be interested in women's issues and whatever, and as we know, it's like a, Donald Trump is president, but, like, people are interested in women's issues, like, in reaction, which was so unpredictable for me, um, and it's interesting, like, I always always think about my books in relation to who the American president is, because I, when I wrote my book, Tickner, um, it's like this book about this very, very introspective man, and like George Bush became president, I was like, this is not the time for the introspective man, like this is a really bad world for my book to be coming out, and so I always think about that, but I think like in terms of the book coming out now, it's like good luck, good luck timing, you know, and, um, and uh, yeah, there's just like so many interesting books coming out right now, but um, about this subject. But as, but as Sarah said, like it's not just about motherhood and da 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 da. Yeah, I don't think it is. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think it is too. And I think it's just the easiest way to talk about it is like whether or not to have a child. Like somebody said, it was like a red herring or a MacGuffin or whatever. And I oh, think did somebody say that? I'm yeah, so glad I, I haven't that's seen that. True. Very much. Yeah. Yeah, but you need it. You need a spine. You know. Yeah. yeah. You can't just be like, it's about the soul of time, you know? <laughs> Which was one of the titles I was thinking about, and everyone was like, nah, I yeah, don't know, I like that. soul and time in the title, like it's a bit much. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad I was able to strong arm you into using motherhood, because the viewer, the very brink of deciding, absolutely, you couldn't call it motherhood because, you know, how, there are just so many reasons to dislike a book outright just you know because it's called motherhood yeah um but um you know i don't want to give anything away but uh yeah you, it's yeah, the you perfect were, title yeah, yeah. it's the perfect title yeah. yeah that's that's right um 
Um, so maybe just, oh, yeah. Um, you wrote a uh, line, I haven't finished it, but it was about how you were, like, wondering about being a writer in Toronto versus New York yeah like I had a lot of anxiety about not living in New York or whatever when I was in my 20s and I guess my early 30s and now I'm so happy I stayed in Toronto um, for so many reasons healthcare I don't have to teach like all my friends who are writers in America like have to teach because you need healthcare and like in Canada all my friends can more or less cobble together their existence from like odd jobs and whatever and that's really good if you're a writer because you have more time to write and um, I just think it's wherever you are living that the ethos of that place is going to come into your work and that's what you're transmitting to the world and I would rather transmit the ethos of Toronto than New York enough people are doing that you know and um, also it's home and I mean all the people I love not all the people I love, but a lot of the people I love are there. Um, and, and yeah, it's just home and family. And, and also there's just like this part of me that feels like you're fated to be in the place you were born. That's just me. Um, my family, after the war, uh, they went to like Los Angeles and uh, you know New York and London and Toronto. And when I was a kid, I was like, why wasn't I in Los Angeles or why wasn't I in London? I'm like, why am I in Toronto? But there was this always part of me is like, well, maybe there's something good in that. And for me, at this point in my life, I think there is something good in that. But yeah, I used to just be like, why wasn't I <laughs> born in Los Angeles? <laughs> Yeah. What about you? Well, you travel a lot more than I do. You move around a lot. Oh, well, yeah, I've moved around a bit. Uh, well, I, I come from a, you know, well, this isn't really about me, but, I, you know, I'm from Boston and I don't want to live there. Yeah. So I sort of smiled when he said, you know, you're destined to stay where you've lived. It's a very old world sort of yeah. belief, I think. I just don't want to have to make the decision. Like, it's just Toronto's nice to Toronto's a good place like to be a writer, I think. Yeah. I mean, or, you know, having been there once, I feel I can say that. Um, I, yeah, and, and you know, of course, in New York, there are a thousand other writers trying to do what yeah. you're doing. I lived there one summer, and I couldn't yeah. write well there. Yeah, it's a different experience for sure. Yeah, you constantly feel like it's like, why should I write? Like, she's writing, he's writing. Like, who needs my writing? Yeah. Um, okay. Should we wrap it up? Is there one more? One more. Okay. Okay. Great. Thank well, you. Thanks so much. Bye, Sheila's books. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.